This is ContraZone, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Howe. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different to the previous ones. As we're getting closer and closer to the end of 2022 and into the holiday season, we decided to keep things a little bit light, a little bit fun here. Not that they're not always fun, obviously. Um, so what we're going to be doing this week is we're going to be playing a little bit of game, a little game called This or That. It's going to be a movie director edition. Not an original game, obviously. We've lifted it from other podcasts and interviews and things like that. Uh, but before we jump into it, Dakota, how are you? Are you into the festive spirit yet? Sure, why not? I feel like you've maybe been in lockdown too long because you said as we approach the end of 2022. Oh, did I say that? You did, yes. So I think you should get out of your house every once in a while, Rachel, and realize it's still actually only 2021. Oh, man. Yeah. What is but, time uh, and space anymore, honestly? Who who My knows? Bad. You know, before we start recording, we were talking about Loki. So, you know, maybe you're just on one of those time continuums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm very excited about this. I know... Uh, this is something that you would propose to me a few, I don't want to say a few months ago, but but definitely more than a month ago. You're like, would you be up for this? I was like, yeah, you know, we got nothing going on before Christmas. And I would like it if we sort of not have to do where I watched <laughs> 10 films by a director like I just did for the Wes Anderson one where that takes up a lot of time and energy. Uh, and so you proposed. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And then I, I expected it to be a little bit of, of both of us going back and forth. And you're like, no, 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 I want to do this. I was like, okay, so... You're in control of this episode. I have literally no idea what's coming up. Yeah, so that's kind of the fun bit of this is Dakota has no idea what I've prepared for this whatsoever. It's trust. That's trust. So that's dear listener, it's been it's been wonderful knowing you. <laughs> okay, so the way that I figured we would do this rather than just a cut and dry pick one movie that you like better or um, kind of the ever popular only pick one and then the other movie it no longer exists kind of thing. I thought that's a bit harsh. So what I thought we would do is imagine there's you're meeting a person or an alien, if you will, someone who has no idea about this director or any like who they are, um, their style, their tone, whatever, any type of movie that they've done. And I'm going to give you two titles um, from their filmography. And you're going to pick the movie that you think is the best one to introduce a complete newbie to this mm. particular director. Mm-hmm. So, you in know, terms, yeah, I think that's a great idea because very often I can acknowledge that my favorite doesn't necessarily line up with maybe what would be either the most accessible or the best overview of, of someone's vision. Part of the reason that I went this route was because I've mined Dakota's letterbox, um, which has a lot of lists, like a lot of ranked Uh-oh. directors lists. Um, also, give give Dakota a follow on Letterbox. There's a little plug for you. I think it's just your name, right? It's just Dakota Arsenault. I yeah, I, I think my my actual account is DGAPA, which is what my personal social media accounts are. Oh, just letting that fly out there. Just letting everyone know. That's okay. That's um, okay. I, my Instagram is private anyway, so you know <laughs> they could they could try to follow me, and I'll get either accept or decline now. depending on if I actually know them. <laughs> So I I figured I already know like the way that you've ranked them. I know which one that you prefer over another because you've ranked them. So, and I can see your ratings and I, you've reviewed a lot of them. So I thought we'll take it a different way. And like you said, like a, a movie that is your favorite, isn't necessarily the best of a director or the director that encompasses what they're about. 
And Mm -hmm. you are obviously, like you just said, it's like you're objective enough to understand that um, versus thinking that your favorite is obviously the be all and end all. So I've got a list of directors and I've also played a little game with myself here, which I've highlighted the movie that I think you're going to (laughs) pick just to make it a little interesting for me. Interesting. Okay. So I'm going to start with um, director you just mentioned, which is Wes Anderson. So you did a ranked with Steph, uh, which was episode 175. So you've gone over all of his filmography, including The French Dispatch. So the two movies I picked from Mr. Anderson are The Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore. Oh, okay. And you could even do that oh. for me because I've seen both of them, I think, but I'm not the biggest mm-hmm. Wes Anderson fan. So convince me. You know, I I think I think the correct answer really is The Royal Tenenbaums. I, I prefer Rushmore over it, but... You know, Royal Tenenbaums was, was really the big mainstream. No, no, sorry, it was really the indie uh, breakthrough for Anderson. Yeah. As I've, I've mentioned before, Grand Budapest Hotel was probably his mainstream breakthrough. But I would say the Royal Tenenbaums was the one that really put him on the map for people to see. It It is sort of where his career was sort of going. Rushmore mostly is a two-slash-three-hander where you've got Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray sort of butting heads against each other, and then you've got the love interest of Olivia Williams sort of off to the side a little bit where the two of them are competing for her. Whereas Rush Royal Tenenbaum sorry, is sort of what he's become known for of these large, expansive uh, ensemble casts. And so you try to pick a lead out of Royal Tenenbaums, and it's like, well, is it Gene Hackman since it's really him trying to get the family back together? Is it uh, one of the the three siblings of of Ben Stiller, Owen, Will, uh, Luke Wilson, or Gwyneth Paltrow sort of thing? Is it Angelica Houston who kind of controls the family? There, there's a lot of different dynamics going on, but it really sort of highlights what Wes Anderson at his best really does well, and that sort of taking these deeply sad and troubled people in bringing humor to the screen, even though we understand that they're going through an immense amount of personal pain uh, or sometimes actual physical pain as well. in, in the case of some of the characters, but it's also really funny. Uh, you get the, you also get sort of the trademark Wes Anderson shots where, you know, you get the long tracking shots, the slow-mo, uh, the color coordinating outfits to the backgrounds, the very unique look to everything. So you get a little bit of everything that Wes Anderson's known for. I do, like I said, I do prefer Rushmore a bit more because it's both sadder and funnier, but I think Royal Tenenbaums is probably a great introduction for people. Awesome. See, I'm glad we started off with Wes Anderson. I figured you'd have a very strong and eloquent opinion on it, which you did. Thank you, because I just talked about so all my notes yeah. are fresh. <laughs> and yeah, I was going to say, you just watched all of his movies, um, so which is a lot of work, I will say. Even for a director that you like, it's still a lot of work mm-hmm. to sit through everything. Would you okay. Would you agree with me on that? I picked Royal Tenenbaums. I said that that yeah. was the one that you were going to pick, and I actually do agree with that as well. I think Rushmore... Yeah. Um, or sorry, Royal Tenenbaum. I think the thing you said about the ensemble, that to me is like a very big thing on Wes Anderson. It's like having these massive, massive ensembles of actors and kind of fitting in storylines for everybody. Um, and also the style of it, I think is quite quintessential Wes Anderson. So yeah, I'm one for one in my game. 
that's for, for my own personal thing. <laughs> I don't know why I have to make everything a competition, but you know. Um, okay. It's the sports fan in you. I oh, know. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's honestly terrible. All right. So West Side Story comes out or has come out um, now. And so we're going to go Steven Spielberg. So Steven Spielberg is really difficult to do because he is obviously an act. Uh, he's got a million credits to his name and he's been working for so long. So to define what a Spielberg movie is to me is kind of difficult because I don't think he has a Spielberg movie. But I've chosen two, two of his big movies. Um, they're all pretty big. But I went Saving Private Ryan and Jaws. Mm, okay. Okay. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> It's tough. Spielberg's a really difficult one, I have to say. Yeah, his his career is so all over the place. He's done a lot of different genre films. And so, you know, you're comparing a war film to a quasi-thriller horror drama movie. Mm-hmm. And, and they're so widely different. And, and you look through Spielberg's career and you can, like, put them into a whole bunch of different silos of, like, different styles of films that he's made other than musical, which... West Side Story is his first one in comedy. I think he's only ever really made like two real comedies and that's like Catch Me If You Can in 1941. So he's he's kind of mostly on the drama side. Mm-hmm. And then you get like his lazy period where it's clearly <laughs> paycheck jobs for some of some of the stuff that he's done. Um so yeah, he's such an he's such an interesting person. I've I've considered doing a, a ranked series on him where i would basically yeah. go in increments of 10 uh of his movies but that it's so much because he's he's done i think this is now like his like 28th or 29th film so it's like almost at 30 which is pretty crazy but to the question at hand jaws or saving private ryan i i adore both of these movies saving private ryan's probably top three war movies ever made agree in my opinion the Omaha beach landing is just yeah. pure perfection, but the rest of the movie is so good as well. Um, but jaws. Yeah. I love jaws. I adore it so much. I think I'm going to have to go with jaws. And the reason why I think it's a better introduction to Spielberg, despite the fact that he's only maybe done two or three other close to scary ish movies. I would maybe put something like war of the worlds up there. Um, AI artificial intelligence, despite not being a horror movie, really kind of like gets into your soul with some of the um, uh, the questions that it asks you about, like what does time mean? Which that always kind of messes with me a little bit. Maybe that's why I love a ghost story so much. But what I think Jaws does better and makes more Steven Spielbergy is the daddy issues. <laughs> and and in the family drama that's been really at the center of Spielberg's entire yeah. career through almost all of his films you know he apparently had a terrible relationship with his his dad growing up where he left uh his mother and started a new family and then like it, they didn't reconnect until he was like in his like late 20s or something like that and he finally kind of understood what happened with his parents the, the sort of full story but by then, he kind of made his career on mostly about uh, children feeling abandoned by their their parents. You know, that's a really big theme in Close Encounters of the Third Time, Third Kind, where that's basically the whole story is is either kids being abducted or their parents running away from them, sort of thing. 
Um, but Jaws kind of does that as well. Obviously, it's, it's very much centered on three men trying to find a shark and kill it. But there is that element of family drama as well. And it might just be one of the best purely made movies ever. Uh, ranking Spielberg, obviously, I put Jaws above Saving Private Ryan. So, so there you go. I also picked Jaws for you. I thought he's going nice. to go with Jaws. Yeah. I, I adore Jaws. Jaws. I have several Jaws t-shirts and every time I like see a Jaws t-shirt in stores, I look at it and my <laughs> wife is always like, really another one. It's funny. Cause you're not into like horror movies. Although this isn't, I wouldn't consider this like a classically horror movie. It is scary. No, Very it's got scary. horror elements, but yeah. yeah. It's, it's terrifying though. But the movie I thought Jaws is very similar to in Spielberg's um, filmography is dual. Like the first movie he ever did. Like you can see oh, okay. hints of what he was about to do with Jaws. Like an unseen villain. It's like this kind of, you know, it's very tense the whole time. And um, not so much the the family, like the daddy issue aspect to it. That's not included in Duel whatsoever. Um, I think, I personally, I think there's a bit of an unfair question. Because I think you can divide Spielberg's career into silos as you said like you know he th- these two movies are about 20 years apart i think um and a lot can happen in 20 years and he's obviously going to be a very different filmmaker but for me i think jaws is a really good movie to introduce him to like the first half of his career and then saving private ryan to me is more akin to what spielberg would be in the back half of his career or the back yeah half. Especially, you know, the big budget spectacle and things like that. Yeah, like the big prestige drama, which nobody can touch Spielberg as far as I'm concerned. I think he's the best at that. And I'm not like overly keen to watch West Side Story, to be honest. But since the reviews have come out for it and everyone's saying like this is a really great Spielberg picture, it makes me more interested to see it. And actually thinking about Saving Private Ryan made me be like, I kind of want to see him do West Side Story because I know that he's obviously one of the best when it comes to just these really massive, massive scale films, which I think West Side Story is going to end up being. So yeah, I, I don't personally have a pick between the two, um, but I yeah. did say you would pick Jaws. <laughs> yeah. West Side Story is an interesting one because I'm not a big musical person. The mm-hmm. original, I've watched it a few times and like every time that like opening dance sequence happens, song and dance sequence happens, I'm always like, ugh, yeah. I hate musicals. And then like, for some reason I'm able to just sort of get myself immersed into it. And I think the filmmaking of it is so good, especially the like school dance scene is just like one of the most beautiful sequences ever shot to film. I fall so much in love with that movie by the time, like after the first 10 minutes, I I really get into it and I sort of am able to accept the musical nature of it, which I know is a pretty hot take. Uh, So I'm, I'm, I'm worried a little bit about the Spielberg version. Um, So I, I I hope it's as beautiful, but like just going because it's a musical that doesn't interest me. I agree with that. I, I like, we actually just talked about this. Like I have a very love hate relationship with musicals. Sometimes some of them I really do enjoy. Some of them can be really well done, but a lot of them, it's just, I don't know. It's a bit of a slog to get through, Uh, but neither here or there. Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. So we're going to go from, I think everyone's favorite director, which is Spielberg. I think that's a pretty safe favorite director choice. Your favorite director, Wes Anderson, and to my favorite working director, Denis Villeneuve. So I went with Sicario and Dune. That's pretty easy for me. 
You like Sicario better, I would think. I do. I like yeah. Sicario a lot better. And this this maybe is also a bit of an interesting one where looking at Villeneuve's career, he sort of has now had three sort of very distinct phases. The first section would be his career in Quebec as, as French-Canadian films, which I've only seen on Sunday, which calling that a French-Canadian film is a bit of a stretch because it takes <laughs> place in the Middle East as well, mostly. But, you know, French... Outside of Farsi, I believe French is the next most predominant language in that movie. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But I haven't seen the rest of his French-Canadian films, so I can't really talk too much about them. And then he has this really interesting middle period where he does stuff like Sicario and Enemy and um, Prisoners. And, and that sort of trifecta of films, he really sort of... It's, it's almost like early David Fincher where he's like able to get really gritty with his crime dramas uh, and, and thrillers and really burrow deep into the psychology of these characters and get some really interesting stuff. Sicario is an interesting one because I had come off seeing Unsandi and absolutely loved it. It was probably one of my favorite films of that year. Prisoners, I really, really enjoyed. And then Sicario, the trailer came out, and I was like, this movie looks so overly preachy and ridiculous. Like, I can't imagine enjoying this at all. And I watched it, and I was just absolutely blown away by it. And it sort of made me realize, I'm like, hey, okay. I sort of thought the Prisoners trailer was a little off, too. Maybe whoever makes Villeneuve's trailers just doesn't (laughs) get his style. Because more often than not, his his movies are so heady and psychological, it's hard to really capture their essence in a two-minute trailer so you go with, you know, the crazy action scenes and the some of the cheesy dialogue or what seems to be cheesy dialogue and sort of trying to really do that. And then you watch it and you get I, – I, if I was a regular movie watcher, I would be so disappointed. Like this isn't what the trailer was. I expected this crazy shoot 'em up you know, Mexican border gang drug war sort of movie and it really isn't. It really ends up being this exploration into – the accountability and culpability of the U.S. government into the drug trade and who finances who and who's at the the bottom of that. But the movie gets really dark. You know, there's this – I don't want to spoil too much about it for people who haven't seen it. But there's this early scene when they uh, raid a house. Emily Blunt's character and her, her team raid this house and what they discover in this house might be one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen on film and one of the few times where you can actually smell a movie and, and it's, it's so dark and and disturbing sort of thing. Uh, Dune on the other hand, I think is really fun, but it's in this sort of now new chapter of his career where he's basically Christopher Nolan light where, you know, Blade Runner 2049 and now Dune, he's got these big budget spectacles and he's basically carrying on franchises. And I sort of want to see him return back to his smaller roots. Word is, for a few years now, he's been trying to work on an adaptation of Cleopatra. And I'd be very curious to see what he does with that. Is that going to be more Elizabeth Taylor Cleopatra? Or is it going to be more like enemy Sicario prisoners Cleopatra, where it's much more contained in a smaller, intimate story sort of thing? Uh, so I'm very interested to sort of see where he goes. But as someone who is only moderately okay with dune sicario is definitely the way to go if you really want to see what denis villeneuve can do best see i would say um i agree with you i think of these of the of those two sicario is probably the one that is more uh 
more villain movie. To me, though, I, I mean, this is me predicting, like just making a hypothetical prediction of the future. I get the feeling Dune is going to be the movie that this is where his career is going. Like as much as I agree with you, I'd like to see him go back and do some of the smaller stuff. I have a feeling this is the direction his career is going to take him. And maybe he'll go back to the smaller stuff, but like in 10 years or something like that. Like it's going to be a while before. Or like in a TV show. Yeah. I mean, Dune should have been a TV series. Let's be honest now. Cause that could have been a really yeah. cool TV series. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you on your Sicario points, but for, like, there's a part of me that just says, I feel like Dune is going to be what, this is what we're going to see from him for the rest, not the rest of his career, but I think for the bulk of his career, it's going to be the dunes and the blade runner 2049s. Like, um, I don't know if his, you know, going to make another polytechnique or another ensemble anytime soon, which is a shame because I think, um, those are fantastic, fantastic movies, but Dune is also great. I really like Dune. I like Dune more than you did. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's really good, and I, I'm looking forward to the second part. Okay. Yes, I I am looking forward to it as well. I want to see start- how this ends. <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> where it started from where it ended. Um, you mentioned the Cleopatra thing, so they are doing another Cleopatra next year, or not next year, or yeah, next year I think. And Gal yeah, Gadot, I heard I it. Someone else is yeah. It's gonna be Kate. Is Patty Shortland. Jenkins involved in it? She's producing, I believe. Yeah. So I think Kate Shortland has, was announced to do the direction of it, who was right. the director of Black Widow, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I read a book about Cleopatra a little while ago, and it was like the most intense Cleopatra book I've ever read in my life. Um, it's a fascinating story, and I would have loved to have seen Denise kind of vision on that, but. I highly doubt he's going to get a chance anytime soon because why are they going well, to make... I'm looking it up on IMDb and the trivia says, this film version shouldn't be mistaken for the one being produced by Sony Pictures with director Denis Villeneuve. This film version from Paramount Pictures is based on a historical mythology while Sony's take is based on Stacey Schiff, the Stacey Schiff biography. They're doing two Cleopatras within like a very short time. <laughs> Yes. What's that what's that term called or it's like two movies that seem similar um uh, it's like movie twins or movie doubles or something like that. So like stuff like Ants and a Bug's Life. Or um what was it? I always think of Armageddon and the Deep Impact. Deep Impact, yeah, yeah. or The Prestige <laughs> and The Illusionist, yes, stuff like that. Yeah. But the difference being that this is two films of the same character so that'll be that'll be interesting it's almost like um uh when two movies were made out of truman capote within a year there's the one with philip seymour hoffman and then i can't remember who is in the other one but you know they came out very very close together and obviously the other one got completely overshadowed i think like tv as well like 30 rock and um Sorkin's one, the uh, oh yeah, Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip. I love that show. I was like, I liked both. I like I like Thirty Rock as well, but I really like Sunset Strip. That's such a that was a really really good TV show. Um, okay, well we'll look out for Denise Cleopatra. I think that would be good. It'll right. probably be better. Probably, I don't want to discount Kate Shoreland, but you know, yeah, probably it will be better. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's move to, I know, a film director you really love, Sofia Coppola. So 
I chose Marie Antoinette and the Bling Ring. Interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting that you picked two of her films that she's maybe not the most known for. I guess maybe Marie Antoinette, but like, yeah, th- those are those are interesting ones to pick. Huh. See if you include Lost in Translation, then that the answer is yeah. Lost in Translation. Yeah, because I would say Lost in Translation and The Virgin Suicides are probably like the two movies she's most known for and has mm-hmm. had the most acclaim. Absolutely. And then Marie Antoinette's probably, you know, maybe third on that list. But, you know, I think she's only made like five movies. So it's it's really hard to <laughs> make a, a very long list and be like, yes, it's the third most popular one. Yeah. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, I th- I think I would go with Marie Antoinette. Uh, I, I think I like them ab- about the same, but Marie Antoinette does a little bit of a better job of not being a time capsule of when it was made. Because even though the bling ring was made a couple years after the events took place, it still very much was grounded in that era. And it, it almost looks a little dated with the, the clothes, the music, the look of everything, the technology. And not in a way of like, oh, hey, we made this movie about 2008, you know, 20 years later. And so everyone kind of looks that way, like maybe something like The Big Short, where they do a pretty good job of of making everyone look that era appropriate. Uh, Marie Antoinette obviously is a period piece. But what what Sofia Coppola is is so well known for is sort of like her her needle drops and, and obviously... Bling Ring has that, but I think Marie Antoinette does it a bit better. Kirsten Dunst, I think, is so interconnected with the mythology of Sofia Coppola. And so her starring in that is, is probably something that, that connects that well. Yeah, I that's that's a tough one. I think I think Marie Antoinette's probably the the more generally liked one and probably a better introduction introduction to the whimsy that Sofia Coppola can have. Uh, while also having like a unique take on female characters, uh, so I would I would probably go with that. Whereas because of the bling ring is mostly has a male perspective from the lead, I think she actually does better with someone like Kirsten Dunst as her muse. Hmm, that's really interesting. I did pick Marie Antoinette for you so far. Four for four, picking what Dakota. Would Great, pick. you know me very well. <laughs> um, also, just fun fact: you did rank both of them at number four, or rate both of them at with four stars on uh, letterboxd so you do like them pretty okay. equally yeah i i really like i really like sofia coppola yeah i know you do i'm not the massive huge on her i like lost in translation a lot i think that that's a great movie um i haven't been sold on any of her other stuff though if i'm honest like nothing makes me jump out and be like oh, i want to watch more of her work um Virgin Suicides, I wanted to love a lot because I really like the book, Virgin Suicides. And I think she does a good job, but not quite exactly my thing, I guess. Um, and so it's interesting that I would actually probably choose Bling Ring between the two as a way of introducing hmm. Sofia Coppola. I feel like that is a bit more of an uh, accessible movie um, for people to kind of like get into Sofia Coppola. Um, it's, I also thought it was interesting you said about one of them. So bling ring was obviously shot during the time that close enough anyways, to when it happened. Whereas Marie Antoinette obviously is a long time ago. 
Um, whereas one looks dated and the other one just looks period appropriate. And it, like, this is an off comment uh, just about the way movies are done. Like if you're filming in that time period, you might not capitalize on the things that are stereotypical to the period because you're just shooting a movie. Whereas yeah. something like, um, you know, I think if you were to do a movie about the nineties now, people would really push like what people look like, quote unquote, look like in the nineties, but it's almost stereotypical because that's a part of the movie. Whereas I don't think in Bling Ring they were thinking we need to be era appropriate because they were just like, oh, it just happened, like you said, like a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a side point. Um, yeah, and I feel bad that I, I have to admit that I've never seen The Virgin Suicides or Somewhere. Those are the only two movies of hers I haven't seen. Uh, and I know I really do need to rectify that. But you really need to watch The Beguiled. I've been I've been telling you for a while you should I know, watch that. Yeah. I think that might be her best one. Okay. Even better than Lost in Translation? It's 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 up there for sure. Really? I I adore Lost in Translation. It's it's pretty fantastic. But the Beguiled is a, is a really fantastic thriller kind Interesting. of okay. gothic thrillerish. Yeah. Okay. I will I I will watch it before the end of the year. How about that? I promise. Oh, you. thank you. Especially since we both liked. Um, oh wow, I'm blanking on the name of that movie where we interviewed the director earlier this year. Oh, Glass House. Um, <laughs> yes, Glass House. It's it's very similar to Glass House. Um, all right, let's wrap up on one, the last one. This could be the fifth one. Which one do I want to do? Do, 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 do? Okay, I was going to do Miyazaki, but I'm actually going to go with something kind of similar-ish to Spielberg, which is David Fincher. Okay. Um, the reason I say similar-ish to Spielberg is just that I think you can divide Fincher's career as well, so I'd be interested to see where you go. The two movies I've chosen for Fincher are Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons and Fight Club. I think that's pretty easy, Fight Club. See, the reason I I put them up is because I feel like Fincher gets the reputation of making really cold movies, right? Like that's kind of a thing that a lot of people criticize him for. But Benjamin Buttons Mm -hmm. is not cold in the slightest. And I would say, I think on balance, Fight Club is a better movie. But Benjamin Button showcases a side of Fincher that is not the stereotypical Fincher. So I guess it kind of comes down to which side of Fincher would you want to introduce somebody to? Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, when I did the the David Fincher ranked episode, I sort Mm -hmm. of realized that he's not someone I love as much as I thought I did. You know, The Social Network will always be one of the greatest films ever made with one of the greatest scripts ever made. Um, But yeah, Fight Club, Fight Club is an interesting one because every once in a while I'll I'll be like, yeah, I don't really care for Fight Club. And then I'll get around to rewatching. I'm like, no, you know, it actually is really good. And then I'll kind of be like, nah, I don't know. It's sort of the the discourse where like, is it toxic masculinity? Is it anti-toxic masculinity? Is it anti-anti-toxic masculinity where like it's always this like really stupid argument about what that film actually is and like i think sometimes now we're at the point where people are over analyzing it where it's just like it seems like it's pretty clearly against the toxic masculinity and the consumerism of of the world like i think that's pretty clear and you don't really need to analyze it any deeper than that and that was something that i realized when watching fincher's movies is they're not as deep as they could be perhaps he he's a very surface level director and you know you watch it and you're like oh great so the the theme of this movie is greed 
that's it. There's nothing else to it. That's just greed or, or whatever, or whatever you want to describe some of his different films and things like that. Um, and I feel like a, a pretty common criticism of Benjamin Button is that one, it's too long and too spread out. And so that doesn't work And two, uh, the levity and the levity of it just doesn't really suit Fincher. And it sort of seems a little out of place at times. And, and you wonder if maybe there's someone else involved with it. And so it doesn't always feel like a David Fincher movie, but like, if you want to look at what David Fincher is best at, and that is really gritty crime films, you've got like fight club and seven and gone girl. And you know, the game, if you, if you're one of the people that enjoy that movie, what he does best is really delving into the psyche of damaged, damaged and deranged people. And fight club is just about the best of that. Fair. I also picked that you would select fight club. Boom. Done. Uh, okay. So I think we did five and I think that that's like a good number to round off at. However, I'm going to throw one bonus at you and it's not, I didn't I pick, love it. Yeah. I didn't pick two movies Keep it coming. Um, because I couldn't pick two movies, quite frankly. So I'm going to just say to you, pick one movie. If you were to introduce somebody to Alfred Hitchcock, which movie would it be? It's tough to pick two movies for him. So just, yeah, of all of his entire filmography, and I did write down a guess that I had for you, um, but it is a bit of a, a, a bit of a, just, you know, a guess. So of all the Hitchcock, Hitchcock movies you have seen, which one do you think best encapsulates the Alfred Hitchcock persona that you would want to introduce to somebody who's never heard of Alfred yeah, Hitchcock? That's, yeah, that's an interesting one. According to my letterbox, I've seen 21 of his films. Yeah, you've seen a lot. Yeah, and so he's an interesting one because like, he's got like about like four or five absolutely stone cold classics that are in the pantheon of, you know, if you were to make them out Rushmore films, you could make all four films, Alfred Hitchcock films. And you know, you'd be right in doing so. And then he's got like a a small handful of ones that are like really beloved because they're really great genre films. And then he's got this entire world of movies that just seem to be forgotten by the general movie going populace where they're just never talked about. And there's some really good ones. There's some stinkers in there or some ones that just really don't work or, or really don't provide the thrills you would expect from an Alfred Hitchcock film. But there's some some great ones in there. So that's that's a tough one because like I personally am a really big fan of a movie called I Confess, which con- that which stars Montgomery Clift as a priest who witnesses a crime and he has to figure out uh, oh no, someone confesses to him a crime and he has to decide whether or not he breaks the oath of confession to uh to bring justice or if he keeps his priestly duties of not revealing what he hears in confession sort of thing. And it's a fantastic, really great little piece about Montgomery Cliff really sort of fighting within himself of what he should do. Uh, but that's besides the point because I wouldn't recommend that as a starting point for Alfred Hitchcock because that makes no sense to start with that movie <laughs> when you've got movies like Psycho and Vertigo and Rear Window and North by Northwest and Rebecca uh, to really, I would say those are you know, would you agree that those are like the five main ones that that's what you would like sort of argue? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like he, he's got, like you said, it, there's so many to choose from and they're all very good. And they all kind of touch on a different side of 
Hitchcock as a man, I think. And I always, that's why I find director filmographies really interesting is like, you can kind of track the growth and, and, or sometimes not growth of a, of a person Um, like Scorsese. I think his filmography is really, really good um, in that sense. Like you can track where he is in his life uh, and like what he's thinking about what's concerning him. Um, Hitchcock, I think is, is similar. Um, But I would say, yeah, those five are definitely his big ones, his big ones. And like one of my favorite, I like rope a lot. I know that that I think you ranked that a little bit lower on your list. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really love rope. I, I, I found that one to be fascinating. So, but which, if you had to pick one, just to say, here, person A, you, you're going to start off with this one, and this is what best encapsulates who Hitchcock is as a director. Before I get to that, I would say that your comparison to Scorsese is is a really good one because both of them seem to be known for one style of film. Mm-hmm. When reality, you look at the filmographies, they're, they're so different. Like, you think Scorsese, you think gangster movie. And then you look through his movie, and he's done like period pieces, and he's done romance, he's done comedy, he's done musicals, like he's all over the place. But what he's mostly known for is gangster movies. Yeah. And, and Hitchcock is sort of the same way where it's murder mystery. That's what he's known for. But you look through his filmography and it really varies. Now I will give into the conceit that 95% of his movies sort of center around a murder, <laughs> but he goes about them in very different ways. <laughs> yeah, he does. No, it's, and it's like, like I confess is a great like example of that, I think like it's about a murder, but it's yeah. not like a whodunit. It's not a thrillery. I mean, it kind of is, but like, it's not, that's not the focus of the movie. Yeah. It's about one man sort of trying to grapple with what to do. Yeah. Which is very um, different to something like psycho, which is also about. A murder. Yes. Yes. So I, I would throw out vertigo. I would not recommend that one. That one is like, okay. You know, you got to be well versed in in your cinema to be able to sit through that one. It's very long. It basically repeats the movie twice. You really have to be paying attention to the small details. And if you're not ready for that, it's not going to be for you. This is not his blockbuster film. This is his art house indie film sort of thing. So I would not recommend Vertigo to people. Um, North by Northwest, I'm not as high of it. Oh, I would even also include The Birds as maybe a top six. Both North by Northwest and the birds, I'm not really as high on. The humor North by Northwest is a little too cheesy for me in double entendre and innuendo filled, which is sort of what he was known for, but like it's a little too much for me. And the birds, I think it's just a little too cheesy overall, despite the fact that it has some really interesting and great set pieces. So I would, the birds, I would consider, even though I'm not a fan of it, what it comes down to for me is Psycho and Rear Window. Now, the the issue is Psycho is a pure horror movie, and he didn't really do any other pure horror movies. Everything else is more of a mystery, a drama, a thriller, a caper, you know, those adjacent genres of suspense. But Psycho is the only one that's like an actual pure horror movie. And if you were to say, hey, watch this movie, this is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. The problem is this director didn't do anything else like this. So it's a little tough. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I would settle on Rear Window as being possibly the best introduction to him just because it's a style that he has done many times in terms of, you know, it's a it's a mystery, it's a thriller, it's very suspenseful. You get this great 
it, it, it's also one of these things where you're questioning the identity of what's even happening the whole time where you're like, did he, did he really witness his mur- his neighbor murder his wife or like we're led to believe it's all, you know, in his head, it's all paranoia because uh, Jimmy Stewart's character is stuck in a wheelchair this whole time and he's bored and he's making up scenarios in his head. But we also get like these, this fantastic set, one of the best like in studio sets ever made this apartment complex. Absolutely adore what he did with it. And the fact that he's able to make basically a single location movie this exciting just shows how great Hitchcock was. So I'm, I'm going to go with Rear Window on this. I'm so proud of myself that I picked Rear Window for you. Oh, nice. <laughs> I completely agree I am agree very high you. on it too. It's so, it's like, it. it's not even just that it's one of the best movies to show about Alfred Hitchcock. It's just one of those, it's like exactly what you said, story-wise it's flawless like it's it's such a interesting concept for a a story but the way that he shot it to me is like nothing short of brilliant and if you want to see hitchcock at his absolute best on both sides of it i think you don't get better than rear window like i i love vertigo vertigo is actually probably my favorite um hitchcock movie i think vertigo is my favorite but i i agree it's it can be bit daunting maybe to watch as your tedious first. yeah like i i kind of get it like if you don't if you're not a fan of hitchcock if you don't get hitchcock's thing then vertigo can be a bit like okay like what, what's going on here like it's just going and going and going seemingly like never ending but rear window is it's streamlined it's effective it's incredibly well shot and i completely agree with you about it being one of the best set designs that has ever been made. Like it's incredible. Like I, I remember the first time I watched it being pretty blown away, like just looking at the different like apartment windows and, and everything that was going on in them. And funny enough. So, you know, there was like a Simpsons episode that they did the send up of rear window. I think it was Bart has a, yes, he broke his leg on the He breaks his leg when he tries to dive into a pool or something like that. Yes. I do. Yeah. I watched that before I watched Rear Window. Oh, really? Yeah. I saw that when I was, and I was watching Rear I'm like, I probably did too, actually. And you're like, oh, that's where that's from. I've had a lot of that with Simpsons where I watched the Simpsons before I watched the actual thing that they were talking about and then getting very like, oh, they're just copying the Simpsons. And it's like, oh, wait, no, 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 <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not, that's not the case. Um, but yeah, I, I watched Rear Window and then I was just like, oh, that's what the Simpsons episode was about. Like, I get that now um awesome i feel very proud of myself i picked one out of all like i i don't know if i'm sure people would disagree with the hitchcock one and say maybe psycho is the better one or i'm sure some people might even say vertigo because vertigo does do a lot of hitchcockian things but it's not as stomachable i suppose as a as a film um but i would agree with you about where i actually i think i agree with most of your choices i'd say the only one maybe was Denis Villeneuve. You Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. And that even the Spielberg one, I might disagree with that one. Cause I actually think saving okay. private Ryan is more into, it's kind of like the director that they were versus the director that they were, that they wanted to be almost. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like with Spielberg for saving private Ryan, that was like, a sweet spot in his career where he got to do everything that he wanted to do. And I, I'd say the same for Denis and Dune. Like this is the time that he gets to do what he wants to do. Um, and thereby makes the movie that 
should theoretically best encompass who he is. Um, how'd you find that as a little game? That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I think you did a great job with that. And, and obviously you clearly know me very well. Um, (laughs) Whether that was from, you know, doing this podcast now for well over a year with me or scrolling through my letterbox and reading my very personal diary entries. <laughs> Your reviews are great yeah, on Letterboxd, nice I would say. I've said this to you before. Are I, they? I think you should write more, but that's just <laughs> I I said that to you before. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I enjoyed that. That was great. And I, I like it, too, because you're always the one with, like, the uh, better know contributor and things like that. It's like, you're the one that gets to ask the questions to other people. So I think it's fun that somebody else gets to actually dive into your psyche a little bit about movies and get to know you a little bit better. Oh, well, thank you. I, yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, that was a lot of fun and hopefully we can maybe do this uh, again another time. Maybe I'll have to turn the tables on you and, and try to figure that out, which is basically like me having to learn a lot about Hong Kong cinema. Pretty much. And Keanu Reeves movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, I, I ask this every time, even though this was all about me this episode, <laughs> uh, what were you working on lately and where can listeners find you? Uh, so I don't know. I just blanked there for a second. Uh, you can find me on rachelkh.com and all my socials are underscore Rachel KH in terms of what I've been working on. Obviously we're at the end of the year, which is 2021, not 2022. And, um, so best of lists are coming up. I helped exclaim put together a few lists. So the first two that are up at the moment are best of film in 2021 and the best TV shows of 2021. So you can find that on exclaim.ca. I can wholeheartedly recommend the the best films list. I've already read through it all. It was a, it was a really fun one. Uh, I really like some of your picks that you're that you and your um, coworkers made. I disagree heavily with some of them, but you know what? I won't. Uh, I won't belabor that point. Which ones do you heavily uh, disagree some... with? Like heavily. Uh, your number one pick, really. Okay. Which Fair. I understand it's a music magazine, but uh, we'll end up eventually getting to yeah. my thoughts of, of Summer of Soul because I know you were pretty high on it. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not at all. <laughs> um, I, I think it, I think the performances are great, but it's a, it's a flaw, a very flawed movie. Interesting. But that is all completely besides the point. People should check that out. I'll link to that in the show notes for both of those lists for people to to read, even though one of them is TV shows and this is a movie podcast. But, you know, I think I think I'll let it slide. There's some really great TV shows, too, that have like Hollywood presence. Like I like first thing I thought of was Kate Winslet doing uh, Mayor of Easttown. So mm-hmm. there's true. a bit of crossover, a little crossover. Midnight Mass. Sure. The, uh, Mike Flanagan, who's, you know, a great mm-hmm. horror director, did a great limited series. Yep. Uh, but you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you agree or disagree with any of my picks, uh, please let Rachel know and not me. Um <laughs> You can send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking this out.